0: 2 Kings. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha, And said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, please, Let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended into a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. The word of the Lord. A reading from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord.
1: The Holy Gospel today is from the book of St. Mark, the ninth chapter, beginning with the second verse. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead." The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My dearest siblings, grace and peace to you from God in whom we live and move and have our being. Amen. Uh, I submit to you today that fear is the most prominent motivational force in our world. Now think about that. When you turn on the news, most of the stories are fear-inducing stories, things that, that you need to be worried about in the outside world. When you are uh, going to vote during campaign season and you're hearing uh, candidates tell you why you should vote for them, often it is out of fear for what will happen if you don't vote for them think of the advertising that we are induced by in our world today often somewhere in there is fear at what will happen if you don't buy what is being advertised to you even religion and and this is no secret religion has navigated towards using fear as a primary motivational force to getting people to join their respective religions. Join us, believe in our dogma, our doctrine, or else. Right? And Christianity is, is rife with this kind of messaging. And when you think about it, it actually makes sense. Scientists have been studying the human brain, studying how uh, the human species has developed over hundreds of thousands of years, and they have found that, that fear, fear is a primary function that has allowed the human species to survive and evolve for as long as it has. Deep inside all of us, in our brains, is this element of fear, so that we can detect past experiences that were dangerous, that could have harmed us, that we might have escaped from, so that we could avoid those things, so that our species will survive. Fear, ultimately, is a good thing. It can help us. But as human ingenuity has increased, people have learned to use fear as a motivational force to get other people to do what they want. And this isn't a brand new phenomenon. It's not only within our country in the last couple hundred years. This has been going on in civilizations for thousands of years. The Roman Empire, the, the most powerful force in the time of Jesus, as all empires do, used fear to control all of the people that it had subjugated and defeated all of the various cultures and tribes and different people in all of the lands that Rome had spread to and conquered. It had used fear to make sure that none of those conquered peoples would step out of line, would try to get the courage to to stand up and, and face off against Rome once again. The reminder of Rome's power and what had happened when Rome had initially gone up the, gone up against these other tribes in battle? The reminder of of these elements were everywhere. They were, they were on the coins that people had to use every day to purchase their own goods. They were carved into the buildings and columns that existed around people every day as they went into town for commerce. They existed in all of the festivals that happened regularly throughout the entire empire that cultures were forced to go to that commemorated these battles that continually induced fear in people to keep them in line. And the whole point of of reminding people of Rome's power of, of continually inducing this fear was to try and prevent these people from revolting, from standing up and using violence to try and bring down Rome, to try to use warfare and death. So Rome used power and fear to try and prevent more violence from conquered tribes and cultures. And that was the way that things operated in this time. Rome was always looking out for another tribe, another culture, another conquered people through violence to come up against them and try to defeat them. But the one thing that Rome was not prepared for as it was trying to induce all of this fear was some guy showing up and talking about love. Rome did not have a response to this new tactic. And I can't stress this enough, folks, that that this element of Christianity, this is probably the biggest reason Christianity survives and spreads throughout the Roman Empire. And it all starts with this guy, Jesus, who shows up and, and just starts talking about love. Not domination, not violence, not, not getting an army together and coming up against Rome, but but love, love of enemy, love of neighbor, especially if you don't know who that neighbor is. Love of one another. A new commandment I give to you, John, or Jesus says in the Gospel of John. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. The primary lens that Jesus uses in all of his ministry, in all of his teaching, in, in all of his preaching, in all of his miracles, the primary lens is always love. And I would even say as a pastor today that the whole point of the cross which for us as as Lutherans is of paramount importance, the whole point of the cross is to liberate us as Christians from fear. Fear of death, fear of pain, fear of sorrow. The cross liberates us from fear so that we might be free to go out and love others. Now, today we celebrate Transfiguration Sunday, which ultimately is this moment where Jesus becomes real to these three disciples. The moment where they finally see that that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what transfiguration is all about. Now, none of us are going to go up on a mountaintop and meet Elijah and Moses and Jesus and have this same kind of transfiguration moment. But as Christians, we are called to have moments of transfiguration. We are called to go out into this world and have experiences where Jesus suddenly becomes real for us. And I will say that every single one of those moments, when they have happened, for anybody, it has not been through fear. It has not been through the message of saying, believe in God, believe in Jesus, or you will go to hell. I don't believe any of those moments have ever made Jesus real for anybody. And I fundamentally believe as a pastor that it has always been through love, where we experience the transfiguration, where where Jesus becomes real for us. And it is these moments in our lives where, for whatever reason, we finally feel seen as we are. And seen as we are, we feel validated, loved, affirmed. That divine identity that is bestowed upon Jesus, this is my beloved Transfiguration happens for us when that same divine identity is bestowed upon us and we experience that you, you, just as you are in all of your imperfections, in all of your beauty, you are God's beloved. And that happens not just through God showing up, but it happens through people around us, through compassion and and justice and kindness, when we are helped for no other reason than the simple fact that we exist. And I imagine as you go through your own histories, your own personal histories, and look back at those moments when when Jesus became real for you, that somehow it was centered on this, on being and feeling loved. Loved. And likewise, it is through our love, through how we go out into the world and love others, that we bring the transfiguration to them, that Jesus becomes real for the people that we encounter. I don't often speak in absolutes because I don't really believe in them, but I will say that it is only through love that the world can be transfigured into the kingdom of God. It is only through love that Christianity can be transfigured into the body of Christ. It is only through love that we can be transfigured into the hands and feet of God sent out into the world to share this liberating love with others. I was watching one of my favorite films the other day uh, by my all-time favorite film maker, Christopher Nolan, a movie called Interstellar that came out in 2014. And it's a movie that you have to watch about four or five times to truly understand, Uh, but it it really is a, a movie about the resolve of the human spirit to survive, to push forward. And this movie is about a group of astronauts and scientists who are able to travel throughout the universe and they need to go out and find a a new hospitable, sustainable planet because Earth is dying. And so these astronauts go out and they find these candidate planets. Each astronaut finds their own planet and they have to, to collect data about that planet to see if it will actually be sustainable for the human population. And and as they get to their planets, their signals are lost. We cannot receive the data from them. And so a second group of astronauts has to go out and look for them. And they have to go to each of these planets that, that these astronauts had gone to. Well, they get to this point in the movie where their ship only has enough fuel to go to one more planet. Yet they have two that they still have to visit. And there's this conversation that the astronauts are are having about which of the two planets they will choose. One of the planets has better data to support the human population moving there and, and having a sustainable life. But the other planet contains upon it one of the astronauts from the first group that one of the astronauts in the second group is in love with, and as they're debating about which of the two planets comes up, the idea that that this astronaut from the second group is in love with this astronaut from the first group comes up in conversation. And uh, the astronaut that's in love with this other one has this really beautiful quote. She says, maybe love means something more, something we can't yet understand. Maybe it's some evidence, some artifact of a higher dimension that we can't consciously perceive. I'm drawn across the universe to someone I haven't seen in a decade who I know is probably dead. Love is the one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. Maybe we should trust that even if we can't understand it. All right, Cooper, yes, the tiniest possibility of seeing Wolf again excites me. That doesn't mean that I'm wrong. And eventually in the movie, her love takes her to that planet, and it ends up being the planet where humanity will finally settle. As a pastor, I resonate powerfully with this quote. People don't realize this. They think that the, what the Bible says just is, and all you have to do is pick up the Bible and read it, and you know exactly what God is saying to all of us. But the truth is, it's only been the last 150 years or so that human beings have finally started to read the Bible within its own context. And what we are realizing as we are doing this is that we don't really know what the Bible says we are discovering that all of the values and the customs and the morals of people 2,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago, are so different than our values and customs and morals today that it is almost impossible to just simply understand what the Bible is actually saying. Except for fear. Fear and except for love. Those two things, which we do see in the Bible from time to time, those two things carry over quite easily 2,000 years later. And what we as Christians need to realize is that the lens in which Jesus operated was always, always love. And we have to decide for ourselves today. As Christians, are we going to be moved by fear? Or are we going to be moved by love? Are we going to respond and act in fear? Or are we going to respond and act in love? Are we going to be worshippers of fear Or are we going to be disciples of love? And I don't mean the big choices who we vote for, what we're going to do with our lives. I'm talking about daily choices that that cross our path constantly. We as Christians need to decide are we going to move in fear? Or are we going to move in the love of Christ, a love that transcends time and space? Because I will say to you, when you read the Bible, it is not so important that you understand everything that's going on as long as you understand love. The same exact love that brought Jesus into this world to live among us, to care for people, to reach out especially to the vulnerable. It is the same love that his disciples and followers used to transform the world. And it is the same love 2,000 years later across time and space that we are called to experience and share with others. And if you just simply understand that then we will continue to transfigure
0: this world into the kingdom of God. Amen.